Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. I want to uh, let you know we're starting a series, and it's a new series called Present Pain, Future Glory. Present Pain, Future Glory. And I've never ministered on what we're going to begin to minister. And usually when I approach my Bible, it's really not to be a theologian or a communicator. I have a relationship with Jesus in the number one way I communicate with him and he communicates with me is through the scriptures. And so they're sacred to me because it's a relationship. It's not just knowledge. And I want you to know this, our purpose, our purpose is greater than our pain. I would like you to think about that, maybe write that down if you're taking notes. Your purpose, my purpose, our purpose is greater than our pain. And what awaits us is greater than what faces us. Did you hear that? We have faced many things things this last three and a half years, but awaits us is greater than what faces us. And A.W. Tozer said this, he said, no one will be greatly used by God until they are deeply wounded. And I believe God is going to use our church like never before. And it seems not just in the last three years, but that the world forgot to take her medicine and she's reeling. And I'm not just talking about our nation. I'm talking about all the nations and government and continents, it, it, it's, it's an unstable time. And I don't know if you've ever taken your child or your grandchildren to urgent care because you think they may have sprained their ankle. When you go in, there's going to be a pain chart. And number one level pain is usually a smiley face, meaning it's not that bad. But number 10 is a real frowny face, meaning it's unbearable. And I don't think God wants us just to mitigate our pain. And that word mitigate means that we manage, we let we calm. God doesn't want to do that. Jeremiah says it this way. I'm against prophets who superficially heal my people. Uh, Eugene Peterson says, I'm against communicators, pastors, leaders that try to put a band-aid on a broken bone. And I believe this series is going to set us free because we have some fractures in the heart, in the soul, that God doesn't want us to limp through life. He wants us to walk victoriously. Now, our theology Theology must be bigger and greater than our pain to experience future glory. And we are looking for future glory. The build together is going to be all about future glory. When we have a biblical theology on suffering and pain, it brings healing to the pain. Pain in, get this, pain in and of itself has no redemptive quality. And so anytime you or I experience pain in and of itself, even if you are a believer, I'm a believer, we're a believer, it has no redemptive quality within itself. Many times uh, Catholic fathers would say we add to the righteousness or the work of Christ when we suffer for him. I do not believe that that is biblical. God does not need us to suffer for him to add anything to who he is and the work that he's done. However, in life, we live in a broken, fallen world, and there's pain out there. And I just wrote a few things where, you see, in my life as a kid growing up, it was pretty much peaceful, trauma-free until one day when my dad passed away prematurely. 
And I could say premature death brings a pain in the human experience, whether you're a believer or not. Another one is when people go through divorce. No matter how uh, pleasant it may be, there is a deep pain for the couple. If they have children, it's confusing. And it needs to be not just mitigated or managed, but I believe God wants to heal that. Another one I wrote down, just seeing the suffering of suffering, uh, substance abuse that it brings to people's lives and how it destroys disabilities, accident, trauma, and painful realities that are all in our world. And we're saying, if God is so good and he is so for us, why is this world broken? And we're going to begin to talk about that. Pain in and of itself has no redemptive quality. It will leave believers, get this, if we do not heal the pain or the suffering in our heart, it will leave us in a cul-de-sac or roundabout of hell with no chance of getting out. And that's where many believers begin to deconstruct their faith. They, they don't quite believe like they used to believe. Or we can connect with the wound of Christ, or another way to say it, I want you to really get this, we suffer with him, and I'm going to read it. it. That preposition is so powerful, it is setting me free. I used to think I maybe I would suffer for Christ, and it didn't add up. But you and I can suffer with Christ, and it will bring a glory, not even in the now, but in the future, and even in heaven. And when God redeems your suffering, your hurting, your pain, and my pain, guess what? It's for the sake of others that they can be redeemed and healed as well. Amen. And, and so I, I really do believe that Christ, and, and when we suffer with Christ, we can experience a redemptive power and present to bring salvation to that part of our soul. There is, now I want you to get this, there's an overwhelming mystery when believers suffer pain. Now, if someone is intoxicated, they really don't believe in Christ, they do not have a spiritual belief system, and they get into a car and have an accident, no one is going to be asking why. But when horrible things, bad things happen, not just to good people, because we do not believe we're going to heaven because we're good. We're going to heaven because of God's grace and our faith in him. And so it's a mystery. It's outside. I don't care where your doctorate's from or your education from Stanford to Harvard to Princeton. It does not matter. When believing people suffer pain, there is a mystery, and we begin to ask why. And many people, I was taught, never ask why when bad things happen to a believer. Can I say that is unhealthy and that is ignorant? And it isn't that we shouldn't ask why. We should begin to ask ourselves, am I a result of this? Is it a fallen world? Is it a devil? Why is this happening? And begin to bring that to God. And I believe God can heal us. Can you say amen? And I just want to say a few other things and we'll get to the scriptures. If you have your Bibles, go with me to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to read 16 to 20. Then we'll go to Romans chapter 11, actually 16 to 18. Then Romans 11, we'll read 16 to 20. Suffering is inseparable from our experience. Just look at the human world. You can't really escape it. We live in a fallen world. However, please get this. Your response, my response, our response to pain in our life should be very different than someone who does not believe. We're either going to be engrafted to the wound of Christ, get this, or we will become self-absorbed in our pain with no chance or route 
out of hell. And today, I don't want to be self-absorbed with my pain. I want to be absorbed with the wounds of Christ and join my pain with his pain that I can be healed. Can you say amen? Let's begin to read this. This is Romans, and you're going to love this. Present pain, future glory, Romans 8, 16 to 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So notice, it's not like the book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. No, we're not just good people. We are children of God. And how that happens, the Holy Spirit, he bears witness with your spirit. He bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Listen how it goes on. And then it says, children of God, and if children, then Heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. I remember when we were first youth pastors, we had many names. We changed the name of our youth group every year. The first name of the first youth group I ever had in 1985 was Young Blood. <laughs> then they thought we were a group and community of vampires, you know. Then we changed it to Air Force, not A-I-R Force, like the military, but H-E-I-R. And we got it from this, Joint Heirs with Jesus. And we, the, the logo looked like the Harley Davidson wings, so it said Air Force. And so the kids would wear it to middle school or high school, and their unbelieving friends would go, what is that Air Force, you know? And then we changed it again. And so we had so many names. But I want you to see this is puzzling to me because not only does the spirit bear witness with my spirit, I'm a child of God. I am an heir of God. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And if I am royalty, it was really difficult in my mind when bad things, painful things, upsetting things begin to happen to Jude and Becky. And I didn't have a theology to handle that. And because I thought, wait, I didn't sow that. But I want you to get this. Get this connection right here in this verse. It says, joint heirs uh, with Christ, if indeed, get this, if indeed, I believe the number one way to really show the world that we are children of God isn't that we have a Rolls Royce with the license uh, plate blessed. And I do believe God wants us blessed. However, Paul didn't say, hey, the world's going to know you're a Cain's kid because of the car you drive and the purse you have and how many prayers were answered, you know, went your direction. Get what he says, and I love this. He says this, if indeed we suffer with him, please circle the word with. We suffer with him. I'm going to come back to that in a moment and begin to show you what it means with, not for, not for. When we go through painful events, we are not adding to Christ. I cannot say that enough, but we are suffering with, not for him. And it says this, he says, uh, suffer with him. Why? Why will we suffer with him? That we may also be glorified together. Now here it goes. 
For I consider, circle that word. It means reckon. It's accounting. It means, did you hear the song, The Power of the Cross? I had a debt I could not pay. He paid that debt. And so you know what it means in the Greek? It means in the Greek, consider the math adds up. I've done the math, Paul is saying, and at the end, it adds up. Can I say God did not just pay your debt or my debt? You see, your sin and my sin was like a debt. Like if you owe 400000 on your house and someone comes and gives you a billion dollars, they not only paid off your house, they gave you an overpayment. And can I say there is an overpayment for every time you and I suffer or go through pain? that if we suffer with him that overpayment comes and it has the ability to heal us right where we're at are you with me on that and I love this he says I consider I reckon I've done the math that get this that the sufferings of this present age that's where we get present pain present pain cannot be compared with the glory which shall be revealed where in us in us. Can I say glory is not revealed because I pray for a car and get the car I want. Glory is revealed when I'm going through a struggle and I connect with Christ, I am engrafted with Christ, then there is a glory that shines from the inside out. You know what glory means? Kabod, a weight, a strength, a glory. The invisible qualities of a living God comes in us and it's expressed through us for the sake of the world and others. Can you say amen. I want to begin to share with you this part, present pain. Really, my theology for a long time is real, real simple. And again, uh, I am a relational theologian. I would say I am a relational Christian. I, I follow God by relationship. I don't know really if I ever have studied just to have a message or to become a Christian leader. Jesus found me, and I'm still singing these songs. It's like, I cannot believe, what did you see in me? You didn't get a street, a house of dreams, a street of dreams. You got a fixer-upper, and, and you were just okay with that. So for me, my theology with suffering and pain, I want you to get this, from the time I was 20, for the longest, longest time, was sowing and reaping. And now the Buddhist philosophy would say this, if evil comes into a person's life, they say bad karma. And they handle it and they, oh, probably in another life, you did some things bad and now you're paying for it here. And really, I had a Christian view of that. If someone suffered pain, a painful experience, it was probably A, they didn't have faith, B, that it was a consequence of their bad choices. And that's pretty much how I lived my life. And when Christ saved me, and I want you to know, even in this Bible, I believe, I haven't looked, but most of my Bibles, I've read through the Bible 42 times, the New Testament about 163, 167 times. And when I get a new Bible, I write this phrase, the Bible says it, that settles it, I believe it. And that phrase goes into my Bibles. The Bible says it, and I usually think when I write it like I'm from Tulsa, the Bible says it. I believe it, that shadow shit. And, and that's kind of how I think. But I want to begin to tell you what began to happen, all right, with this type of theology. When bad things, confusing things, hurtful things began to happen, I began to get mad at God. And guess what? The math wasn't adding up. 
And I would say one of the first things that really hit me as a person that had that philosophy, whatever you sow, you will reap. Come on, Genesis 8, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest, sowing and reaping. And so I love sowing and reaping when it's like this. Follow me, follow me. I love sowing and reaping. You give $100 in the offering, and that's all you had. Becky and I have done that before. We, we usually got arguments right in the front row over the offering. And I'd say, babe, let's give 100. She'd go, that's all we have. And I know, but he's not asking us for 101. Can we please give the 100? But I need to do clothes and I have to go get shampoo. I need to wash my hair. What do you expect me to do? Suffer for Christ? No, come on. <clears throat> but kid you not, we write the check for 100 sowing and reaping, and that's when I love it. And as we would go to the parking lot, someone would come and give us one of those hallelujah handshakes with a $100 bill. And it's like, glory, you see, it works. And But where it got conflicting is when you sowed an amount of money, and this just happened in Portland. I saw a widow, Libby Loman. We were very close, still close to her, her husband. This is when my theology on pain and suffering and my philosophy of, you know, bad karma, good karma, what you sow, you reap. Jack Loman was one of the most faithful, godly, spirit-filled believers that I ever have met and had the privilege of ministering with. And he would pass away with Lou Gehrig's disease. And it was so debilitating. And so we saw Libby and I said, Becky, let's give her $1,000 because we felt that we should. And the Bible says that true religion is to help a widow, to help someone who is without parents or covering. So when we got home uh, from Portland, our hot water heater broke, water's going all over, so we had to go invest in a new hot water. Don't worry, we had hot water, we showered, we don't smell. And again, this type of theology began to seep in my thinking. Oh, great. Is that how you're repaying me? We give Libby the money, and then can I just say, almost on purpose, that's going to happen more than you think. And yes, in the long run, if we're going to do sowing and reaping is the only theology when it comes to living in this world, I think we're going to run into some speed bumps. But you must hear what I am telling you. You must hear this. Most of life is your choices and my choices in sowing and reaping. I would say probably 80%. It's that 20% where it becomes a mystery. And I would say the first time, I'll never forget this, a youth pastor friend of mine, we met in the 80s. He changed my life. I mean, they were at a mega faith church. Oh my goodness. These people, they can name and claim, confess and possess. They blabbed and grabbed and was like, oh my gosh, I want to go to that church. And they had a baby and the baby was dedicated to God, a perfect family. And one morning they woke up and the baby had passed away, sudden infant death. And, and they couldn't begin to figure out. And I will never forget what he said to me as we ate lunch. My heart broke because I know these people. They had a rich, deep faith. And he said, Jude, he says, I think I've only... Um, 
embraced a retribution theology. And I said, what do you mean by that? He says that God's blessing on my life is only and solely dependent on if I obey. And the truth is, and we would quote this, Deuteronomy 28, Jude Fuquay, if you obey, obey, you will be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed when you sit. You'll be blessed when you stand. And all of a sudden, it began to hit me, wait, things happen in life, not because of God, not, come on, you don't have to read the fine print because the Bible has no fine print. It's all big, large block letters. God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. God loves us. God's for us. God's for us. God's for us. And I really do believe that. But you must know this, God, we have to have a theology that is bigger than the pain that we're facing if we're gonna experience future glory. Are you with me on that? And I, wonder, I wrote this down, however, pain and affliction and justice happen. And it seemed like the math didn't add up. We need to be aware, please get this, you and I need to be aware of our tendency to become self-absorbed in our pain or suffering. You need to really think of what I just said. Because you know what happened? Because I did not have enough Bible theology on pain and suffering. When pain happened, I have a tendency to become self-absorbed in the pain. And it, when we do that, in that meaning, that's all you focus. Have you ever heard of a trigger? Have you ever heard of looping? You just can't get out of the cul-de-sac. You think about it, 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 think about it. Then all of a sudden, we open a door for Satan to come in and sow unbelief, resentment, unforgiveness, bitterness, and even hatred. I am a believer. How in the world could I have unforgiveness in my heart? hatred in my heart, resentment in my heart, because I became self-absorbed with my wound. But you know what? You can work your wound. I can work my wound when I join my wound with the wound of Christ. Then all of a sudden, there's life-giving energy that comes on the inside of us. Are you with me? And really, you're going to be self-absorbed. And, you know, I really like the atheists, you know, uh, the physicists, that famous guy. I think his name's Dawkins. Saying, no, we are all, nothing matters. Nothing really matters. You know, Buddhists say, you'll never have pain. Pain is a result because you love something. Well, wait till they have a child. And something happens to your child. And can I tell you, all of a sudden, what are they going to do with that pain? There's no belief system like Christianity. It is the only one that allows us to connect what we're going through to, some, to what Jesus went through and actually be healed that the glory of God comes in, out, and around us. Amen? Okay, uh, so I want to go back to this. I want you to go to Romans 8. Let's just look at this. And I love, he says, the spirit bears witness with my spirit. I am a child of God. Now get this. It says, and if I'm a child of God, then I'm an heir of God, a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Now get this. If indeed, because that you'll know if you're a child of God, if indeed, please get this, that we suffer with him. Say that with me, that we suffer with him. Let me explain to you what I meant and mean by this. 
Uh, and many of you know, some of you don't, that we had moved here 12 years ago, and I have to say it is the greatest decision of our lives. Uh, Becky and I love you. We love this church. We, we, put, we were talking uh, last night and the night before. We think this is the best church we've ever been in. And it wasn't like we we're in sorry churches. I mean, we were in great churches, but it's like, oh my God, I love these people. And uh, when I fell in love with you, it was about 10 years ago. And my wife went through hell. She was diagnosed with a lymphoma. They said it was incurable. And it was a Thursday night that we found out. And I remember sitting in the car in the parking lot and I was so overwhelmed. My Jake was a senior in high school, and I thought, and this was my biggest fear at that point, I don't want my kids to hate Jesus. I don't want them to get mad because they know we've been blessed. I've trained them that God is a good God, that God is a gracious God, and he sends grace our way daily. And I said, what will I do? And I realized how I, please get this, how I mitigated this pain, and it wasn't on the mitigation chart of one, it was beyond a 10. I was speechless. It was meaningless to me. I thought, wow, how can you get any glory from any of this? And that day, we would go into the Santa Barbara Cancer Center, and they hooked Becky up to an IV, and they were going to begin to put chemotherapy medication through her veins. And for anyone, I think, in California or America, those are overwhelming words. That's an overwhelming picture and scenario. I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I would not. And for the first time really in my life, I was totally speechless because sometimes suffering and pain comes in such a way you can't even describe it. And so when I did, Becky was in a recliner and I just put my forehead on her forehead and we both started crying. And I am not joking, when joking you or just being melodramatic. At that moment, I entered in with her with her suffering. And when I put my forehead on her forehead, even though there was not one word said, there was an intimate connection between Jude and Becky. And even though the whole place smelled of hell, the drugs, the people, the pictures were assaulting our emotions. And on the inside of my mind, I was screaming, how can this be? We have served you. I remember when Becky found out, she literally said, what did I do to deserve this? Meaning opposite of what Paul said in Romans 8. We do not consider, we reckon, the math adds up. But right there, everything in my experience was saying, no, the math isn't adding up, God. You know, when two Christians get married and all of a sudden one of them is unfaithful and betrays and abandons and walks away. And you, you start saying, what did I do? I dotted the I's. I crossed the T's. But I began to see something in that moment that Jesus never asked me to suffer for him. But he, please, we live in a fallen, broken world. 
There are accidents. There's diagnosis. We have fallen DNA. And can I say, I really, I'm beginning to learn that I do not have to be self-absorbed when Becky went through what she went through, when we miscarried, when we experienced death. I would say probably one of the worst things I've ever seen is the death of a teenager or a child. Because as a pastor for 35 years, I have officiated funerals. And those are the most difficult. You know, when someone is older, it's still difficult. And they lived a, an amazing life. It's still difficult. But at that point, I could not wrestle. My mind got really in a spasm until this summer in Italy. And I realized that I became so self-absorbed. Please hear me. My, my bitterness, my I hate to say it, unforgiveness. I think some of my intensity when it was off the charts was a result that hate had seeped into the soul. And I wasn't hating Becky. In Italy, I saw who I was really mad at. You said your spirit bore witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God, an heir, and a joint heir. But all of a sudden, in Italy, on that train, when God said, show yourself compassion today, I don't want you. This is ingenious what he told me. I don't want you to become self-absorbed with this. And I didn't realize it. When you and I, when we are self-absorbed in any way, the trauma, the pain, the suffering, in any way, it opens a door for unbelief, for bitterness, unforgiveness, resentment, which can lead to hate. And I want you to know this. I want to go back to um, this scripture. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And here we go. Face recognition's not working. Okay, here it goes. It says, if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches were broken off and you being a wild olive tree, I, I, I was wild. I have a wild nature. Don't look at me like you're all that then some. I was not born into the tree of God. I am wild. I have wild thoughts. I love partying. I really love serving the devil. But Jesus Christ chose me. And now I'm a son of God. I'm a child of God. But that lower nature is wild. And if you don't believe me, take my parking spot and watch what Becky will do to you. Are you with me? I'm a wild thing. And so he absolutely says, and some branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were engrafted, were grafted in among them, and with them, get this, became, please get it, a partaker. A partaker. What do I need when think the math is not adding up? I need to become a partaker. But you have to understand this. The tree is Jesus Christ. And so I want to read this again. He says, we become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, Paul says. Why? Because of unbelief. I don't believe if you are a believer that you will be cut off from Christ that tree in eternity. I do believe that if we become self-absorbed, 
with the pain that has attacked our lives, then we can have a tendency, unbelief will separate you and I from the redemptive power and presence. And it is that power and presence that actually, like the sap of a tree, has the power to come and heal that wound. Now, we know the tree was wounded. Jesus is the tree. He was wounded on his head. He was wounded in his hands. He was wounded on his back. He was wounded on his feet, in his feet. He was wounded in his side. The tree has already been wounded. You and I cannot add to that wound. But guess what? This is what they didn't teach me in Tulsa. That the wild olive branch, not because of God, but because of living in a fallen world, that forgot to take her medication over 7,000 years ago, and because of a brokenness of our planet, we have wounds. And the branch is wounded. But if you and I stop looking at the woundedness of our branch and just come in connected to Christ's wound, where I'm more conscious of his wound than my wound, then his wound will heal my wound. Are you with me on that? So, for example, Jesus had a thorn of crowns. Why? That you and I don't have to get into a demonic, resentful looping constantly how unfair God was to you. Jesus Christ was wounded in his hands. That represents your lifestyle. There are people in this room because of childhood trauma. You can never, you get demoted, demoted, demoted. You believe for promotion, promotion, promotion. God is not trying to withhold anything from you. Maybe you need to take that childhood trauma and begin to connect it to the wound of Jesus Christ where your mind will not be oppressed anymore. That you can have the freedom to get out of mental looping, get out of that cul-de-sac, get out of that roundabout and let pain leave your body, your mind, and your soul. Jesus Christ, get this, he was not only wounded in head, in hands, he was wounded in his side. That is, no, that represents marriage because the, the bone of Adam was taken out of the side to create Eve. Some of you, some of us, we're believers, but yet our marriages are fractured. Why? Because we focus on a wound, we become self-absorbed, instead of focusing, wait a minute, Jesus was wounded in his side. Get this, that I can have normal, healthy, life-giving, fulfilling relationships with other people, and I don't have to sabotage my relationships anymore. Come on. Some of you, I just need a new wife. I need a new husband. Hey, 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 you can move the Chargers from San Diego to L.A., but it's still football. Change the jersey, but the rules are still the same for the game. And a major rule is you will never be able to connect with another person if you cannot connect to Christ because you'll be too absorbed. That wound of yours, don't you dare let it become callous. Don't you dare make it have so much emotional scar tissue where you can't even connect with someone else. Are you with me on that? Another one, he was wounded in his back. And you know what his back represent? That's the labor. That's the work. And you feel that the math is not adding up. I want you to know I hate math. I'm joking. Matt, we have a math professor here who's over the math and science. 
Jesus Christ is the numbers. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. We're the alphabet. We're very finite. But the numbers would become the alphabet, the alpha and the omega. Why? That we could connect our wound to his wound. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.